Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am so delighted that I get a chance to spend a full hour today with Dr. Clinton Arnold, and he's written a number of books. Uh, the one that we're going to be chatting about today uh, is not a new book, but it uh, it's entitled Three Crucial Questions About Spiritual Warfare. Uh, this topic has come up a number of times, uh, even in the last uh, month or so on the program, and we have addressed it, but never quite like I think we're going to do this hour with uh, Dr. Arnold. And he is um, so nice enough to come on the show today. He is a New Testament scholar who is the dean at Talbot School of Theology and president of the Evangelical Theological Society. Awfully glad to have him on. Clint, welcome. Hey, it's really a treat to be with you this afternoon, Bill. Well, thank you. Now, obviously, we have the same last name. Do you want to say hi to Cousin Jimmy, or did you hear that Aunt Libby <laughs> bowled 180 on Saturday? You probably know all that, don't you? Yeah, we, we've we got relatives scattered all around. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. To, uh, I had uh, Dr. Bill T. Arnold on a couple uh, weeks ago, mm-hmm. so I feel like I've had the whole family on now, which has been great. <laughs> well, I claim him as a cousin, too. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we're all related. So the whole question of spiritual warfare uh, is one that is so challenging, and I know that you are sort of the go-to person on this topic because— one of my favorite guests is a theology professor here at the University of Northwestern, uh, Dr. Mark Muska. And he said, mm. as we were talking about spiritual warfare, he said, you really should get uh, Clint Arnold's book and read that. And I thought, what? So I got all excited and I, I, I tracked you down and I got you on the show. So I'm excited to talk about this. And I know it's a difficult subject and it's emotional subject, but maybe we could just start talking about what is spiritual warfare? Right. That's a great place to start. What is spiritual warfare? You know, I think a lot of people think of it as something very dramatic, something very extreme, something way out there. Uh, And in some ways it is because we're dealing with supernatural realities. But I think of of spiritual warfare as a way of viewing life, a way of viewing uh, the way things really are that takes into account the supernatural realm. it's in some ways a worldview, a way to view life as it truly as it truly is. And if we look uh, at the very beginning of the Bible and read the Bible to the very end, we find evidences of the demonic from the Garden of Eden all the way to the Lake of Fire and so many places in between. If we're truly being biblical, we have to factor this into the way we think about life. The, the difficulty is that we've been socialized, we've been educated in a way that has kind of uh, taken that out of the picture, except for entertainment uh, industry. So we don't often truly factor this into the way we perceive life and the way we respond to problems. So 
Of course, there's a million verses that start springing into my head as we're talking about it. And I think of Galatians 1, 4, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. So evil, mm-hmm. like you say, has been around forever, right? And our, our battle's not yeah. against flesh and blood, right? It's against... <laughs> Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, when Jesus came uh, immediately, when he began his ministry, he began in the ministry of the proclaiming the gospel in the synagogue at Capernaum, and a man came into full demonic manifestation, and bang, he was off and running. And it was just such a characteristic part of his ministry to uh, interact, engage, and take this into account, and. We we see it to the very end uh, when Satan uh, entered Judas and conspired to put him to death and to thwart God's plan of redemption. Uh, it's all over the place. And you cite Ephesians six twelve. There, our battle is truly not against flesh and blood, but there's a supernatural dimension to life that we need to take very very seriously. Mm-hmm. So, Clint, everyone is interested as believers as to the extent to which um, spiritual warfare or demonic activity can have, uh, what kind of influence that can have on believers. Yes, and that's like one of the million-dollar questions. Um, You know, how, how can it impact me? And I think a lot of people in some ways make the mistake of immediately thinking, well, uh, does that mean I can be possessed? And their thoughts immediately go to a movie like The Exorcist or one of the newer kinds of movies with all this crazy uh, diversity of things going on. And what the Bible presents is really quite a spectrum of possibilities for the way that Satan can impact us and influence us and so on. And the the things that we see that are of a more extreme nature might be possible, but they're way out there. There's so many other ways that he can influence us as Jesus himself experienced when he was tempted by Satan uh, in those three different ways in, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Um, but Satan works through social structures. Satan works through direct temptation. Satan can work through the uh, ideologies of the world. Uh, there's quite a wide array of ways. Mm-hmm. Clint, when you hear people talk about, for you know, for every negative thing you've heard about yourself or any negative thing you've told yourself, you need like seven positive things to try to burn it out. Mm-hmm. So when Satan's strategy is to lie to you, and lie repeatedly to you, and you listen to it over and over. I mean, let's talk a little bit about um, the Ephesians 6 spiritual armor that God gives us. Is that something that we we have at the point of conversion when we come to faith, or is that something that's in a closet that we have to put on? You know, I think it's both and. I think it's it's something that we're gifted once we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, We are given the truth, and we have it at our possession, the truth of the gospel and all that's involved in that, the atonement that we have in Jesus Christ, his death for our sins, his complete forgiveness of us, his reconciliation that he's effected between us and God. But it is something that we need to appropriate. We need to take it on. We need to be able to... uh, realize it in our uh, emotional experience in 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 our minds that 
hey, this is true. I am completely, utterly forgiven. I am uh, in a position where I will not face judgment uh, in the same way that I would have as a non-believer, because Christ has stood in that gap and has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. And I think you're right. I think one of the key ways that Satan works is he does try to convince us of the lie, and that lie being you're you're dirty, you're worthless, you're no good, uh, you're not worthy of Christ's forgiveness. Uh, quit pretending that you have been forgiven because I know what kind of person you really are. And we can self-talk, but I think it becomes more supernaturally charged in that Satan is working in that self-talk to convince us that we're really not the kind of person that Christ claims we are. Mm -hmm. My guest is Dr. Clinton Arnold. I love his last name, of course. Um, But when we... Think of, as a Christian, Clint, do we have a balanced view of of the evil influences that are in the world, or do you think we don't understand it well? My conviction on that is that we haven't, we, we don't have an, a balanced view, for the most part. And it depends on our background and uh, our church background and so on and the way we were raised But we live in a culture that has not only discounted the reality of evil spirits, but it's also discounted the reality of the living God. Hmm. Uh, We don't – we can go through life not believing in God and questioning his very existence. Uh, The culture gives us a script to live completely without God in our lives. And so then we take a further step. Do we believe in angels? Do we believe in demons? Uh, It becomes, that stretches credulity even a lot more for a lot of folks. And it's part of our educational system, the way that you would learn a particular kind of discipline. you you may never hear a mention of the possibility of an evil spirit, uh, whether you're studying medicine, psychology, or what have you. So when we are dealing with spiritual warfare, um, talk about the devil's, um, Satan's influence uh, in terms of us either ignoring it or exaggerating it. Yeah, ignoring it. I think one of the dangers for for believers even is to think that because we are Christians, because we are uh, people indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that we are now immune to demonic attack. I think that's something that Satan would want us to believe, that we're just completely immune. Rather, what the Bible presents to us is it gives us uh, the basis by which to stand up against the attacks of the enemy. So we will come under attack. The issue is, do are, are we appropriating the resources we have in Christ to be able to stand up against that? And then discerning the manner of the attack that comes and unmasking it as a demonic attack and then being able to stand up against that in a, a specific kind of way. Uh, and that's tough. The process of discerning is, is really tough because it gets mixed in so tightly with uh, the Bible talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
the world being the ideologies and systems and peer pressures and things like that, and then the flesh referring to the fact that I don't have to blame Satan on anything because I have evil living within me, which is what the Bible calls the flesh, and I'm perfectly capable of thinking up a lustful thought or an angry thought or an envious thought, uh, quite apart from having to succumb to the influence of the enemy. And what I think Satan does is he exploits the world, he exploits the flesh, and supercharges it. And it makes it irresistible almost for us to be able to stand up against that. And so it's so important for us to be able to recognize when we face temptation that we have the resources in Christ to be able to say no. We can say no. Uh, but we have to recognize the temptation when it comes. Uh, therefore, Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation so that we recognize it. And then we put on the resources, the armor of God, so that we can stand and not fall by the temptation. Mm-hmm. Dr. Clinton Arnold is my guest, one of my smarter relatives. He is a New Testament scholar at the and Dean of Talbot School of Theology, We'll take a little break. We'll come right back. We're talking about spiritual warfare today, and the book he has written is called Three Crucial Questions About Spiritual Warfare. When we come back, I'm going to ask him, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Be right back. Talking to Dr. Clinton Arnold, thought I'd say that nice and slow, and he's written a, a book, uh, Three Crucial Questions About Spiritual Warfare, and I figured after the break we'd come back and take on this uh, very challenging uh, question, which I know gets talked about quite a bit, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Yes, we're diving right in there with one of the questions <laughs> yeah. that uh, can really get people worked up over this, and, and I understand why. And, and I, I, I've thought about this so much. I've written on it, and I've spoken on it a number of times, and I think I have a solid answer for it. So let me give it a shot here. Um, it's a little bit more nuanced uh, that we have to see it. But I think one of the most important things to observe is that when Scripture uses possession language, uh, it only goes one way when it's referring to Christians. And that is that Christians, when someone enters a relationship with Jesus Christ and has been transferred from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son, Colossians 1.13, uh, they are now possessed by God. And Scripture consistently uses that language of possession to describe now the status of a believer as possessed by God. So I think, for instance, First uh, Peter 2.9 that says, where Peter refers to believers as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In Ephesians 1.13 and 14, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, which a seal is a sign of ownership 
the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So the possession language goes one way in Scripture when it refers to Christians. Now, we do have the phenomena of demon possession in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular, and some in the book of Acts. And what's interesting, and my day job before I became dean was teaching Greek, so I'll get a little bit Greek geeky on you here. There is no word for possess in uh, the Greek New Testament when you see the expression demon possession. It's a verb built on the word demon. It's demon idzomai. And basically, you could transliterate it demonized. In other words, severely influenced by a demon. And so even in the Gospels themselves, there's no language for possession. That came in even prior to the King James Version into the history of English Bible translation, and it's kind of stuck. Some versions have now translated it demonized, but it's really not an ownership question at that point. It's a severe case of demonic influence. And so what I'm bottom line of what I'm trying to say here is that a demon cannot come in and steal our salvation away from us as a child of God. Uh, a demon cannot change the ownership. We, we are children of God. We are bought with a price. We belong to him, and, and we are, are protected in him. Now, here's the bad news side. We can, as believers, uh, open ourselves up to demonic attack. We can allow ourselves to be tempted. We can give in to that temptation. We can willingly agree to it. And that might even be demonically charged. And that opens us up to a deeper level of demonic influence. But I wouldn't call that being possessed. I would call it a more severe form of demonic influence. And that can extend to a great to a great extent, uh, people can be very deeply and profoundly influenced by the demonic if they are opening their lives up to that form of influence. So uh, on possession, I would say no, but demonic attack, even a very severe form of demonic attack and influence, yes. And Clint, would you say that a severe case of demonic oppression may very much look like possession? Looking at it from the outside in, if somebody were observing this, I, I think that there could be very severe forms of influence like this where uh, people could say, wow, that does look like a case of what some might term possession. And, and that certainly could be. You know, usually with believers, one of the things that I've learned over the years, and I'll just mention that I taught a class for 20 years on spiritual warfare here at Biola University and Talbot School of Theology, where we, it was the most expensive course we had here. It was triple team taught. We had a missionary anthropologist and a psychologist and myself teaching the course, and we'd have 50, 60, 70 students in there. And one of the things we heard from students a lot was this common experience of 
uh, nighttime visitations or a nighttime manifestation, a night terror, so to speak, uh, where there's a sense of a demonic presence coming on and choking and preventing someone from talk and creating great fear. And, and people would wonder, gosh, does that mean I'm possessed? No, that means you've faced a very significant form of demonic attack, but you don't, we don't even want to think in those terms. If you are a true believer, you belong to God. What you need to know is how to put on the spiritual armor in a way to resist that form of attack, even though it's a little bit more dramatic. So good. Um, Clint, what about this verse out of, I think it's um, Ephesians 4 and 27, it says, do not give the devil a foothold. What would be your understanding of a foothold? How would we do that? Right, right. That's a very good question. Uh, Yeah, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give a a place or a foothold to the devil. The Greek word that stands behind that is the Greek word tapas. It's also used in the Gospels where it says uh, if someone uh, comes and casts a demon out of a person, it wanders through waterless regions, and if it comes back and finds the house swept clean, it will bring seven others uh, with it. Uh, And it refers to that as the person's body is a tapas, a place where it comes and the, the spirits are exercising a deep level of influence. So I think it's, it's more than just influence. I mean, it's, it's a, a presence that is there. It is tempting. It is oppressing. It is uh, terrorizing in some fashion. Uh, and and these sorts of things can happen to believers. Wow, that is chilling. But there's good news yes. in that if we are in Christ and we are filled with the presence of Christ and we possess his spirit, we have no reason to fear because we can utter a word of command and the demons must obey mm-hmm. that. And we can tell them, you you don't have a right to be here, and I command you in the name of Christ to leave. And if there is that form of a demonic attack, uh, we can speak directly to it, and it obeys because the power in us through Christ is much greater far greater, infinitely greater than the presence of the evil. Mm -hmm. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest. We're talking about spiritual warfare today. He's written a great book about it called Three Crucial Questions About Spiritual Warfare, and I get him for the next half hour as well. So that means I want you to ask questions if you like. Uh, 877-933-2484 is our text line. 877-933-2484, and feel free to ask any question you like. We'll take a short break and be right back with Dr. Clint Arnold in just a minute. It's the 
Welcome back. So glad to have Dr. Clint Arnold as my guest. Clint, how does it sound having your last name uh, sung in a theme song? <laughs> That's the first time I ever remember hearing it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. Yeah. I figured. Now, I've got a bunch of questions coming in, but I do want to address um, territorial spirits. And I'm thinking that uh, this is a, a term that Christians use to, tell me if I'm wrong, identify, I mean, demonic o- occupation of a specific area. That's not about that's right? That's correct. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And the Bible does seem to point to that uh, in uh, the book of Daniel when uh, we have a spirit over Greece, mm-hmm. a spirit over Persia in Daniel chapter 10. Uh, but those are some of the only references we have uh, about spirits that are high-ranking over a particular area. But it's it's kind of enticing to wondering what is going on in the supernatural realm that we have this kind of phenomenon. Uh, some have, you know, taken that and really run with it and speculated on all sorts of things and on how we should battle those high-ranking spirits. But that certainly wasn't the emphasis of Jesus in his ministry or Paul or the other apostles. They were far more concerned about local churches and about individuals coming to Christ and and uh, and, and dealing with spiritual influences with individuals. Mm-hmm. Clint, is it the duty of the Christians to engage these territorial demons in spiritual warfare? You know, this was such a big question a number of years ago with uh, segments of the global missions world, and I was involved with a group of people trying to think this through, and I, I, I studied this in depth in church history, uh, in the scripture, and to be honest, Bill, I could never find anything in church history where Christians uh, saw it as their duty to take on territorial spirits or spirits over an empire or spirits over a particular area, whereas there's so many stories in church history of of dealing with people, individuals who were struggling with demonic spirits in one way or the other. And so I I don't see a biblical warrant for it, nor do I see a church historical warrant for for doing that. And in fact, I would go so far as to say that it could be a very dangerous thing for us to do, uh, going beyond our uh, the role that Christ has given to us. Um, I, I turn to a passage like Psalm 91 that says, make the Lord God your your dwelling and he will command his angels concerning you. It's not up to us to command angels to fight territorial spirits. It's up to us to make God our dwelling and to release our anxieties to him. I mean, I'm worried about a territorial spirit. I mean, we can pray about it, but uh, I, a strategy that involves fighting against them, I, I think, could be dangerous. Yeah, so if we have any encounter with something that we consider to be a, a demonic activity, we have the Christ-given authority to deal with it. How should we go about doing that? Yeah, so um, my experience in dealing with the demonic uh, in a— 
in, in very specific kinds of ways often has to do with people in my church. And I used to run a new Christians ministry for many years and, uh, and even students here at uh, my institution that would, I, I do this less now that I'm dean because I have to spend more time with budgets and so on. And sometimes that feels demonic, but that's another story. <laughs> but, uh, but students and people in the church that feel themselves under some form of demonic attack and they come and knock on the door and they think, and they tell me, I, I feel like I'm under some kind of spiritual attack. Can you help me? And, and I have learned, and this is the way I changed over the years, I became profoundly willing to pray with people and uh, to, you know, there's never any problem with praying with people. And I think that, that is just one of the things any of us can do is pray with people, especially if they sense themselves under some form of demonic attack and uh, try to get a sense of what is going on, uh, why do they see themselves under demonic attack, and, and begin exploring those areas and trying to encourage them with Scripture and then praying through with them uh, uh, areas where they may be under attack and asking the Lord for his protection and help. And at times, if it seems like there's something there of, of, of even giving a direct order to if there's a spirit present here causing this dream or causing this problem, I command you in the name of Jesus to leave and uh, and, and to be forthright about it. Mm, so good. I've got so many questions piling up now, Clint. I better get to them or else um, I will be disappointing listeners. Uh, here's <laughs> one. How does Satan know my doubts and fears if he cannot hear my thoughts? That's a great question, uh, if he can't know my thoughts. And there's some people that wonder, if can he really read my mind? You know, I just, uh, over the weekend, saw a Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. Maybe you've seen that. Uh, and that is, it's a scary thing, uh, just about how social media uh, can read our thoughts. Because social media tracks everything we look at and do. Now, let's let's just apply the principle for a second to the demonic realm. If these are supernatural spirits, they don't need sleep. They can watch us 24/7. They can look at at our face and our eyes. They can see everything we look at. They can see all of our emotional responses. They can see everything we click on on the computer. They can see how we respond to everything. And it could feel like they know everything about us. But if there was somebody watching us 24-7, mm. it, it would feel like they're omniscient, that they know everything about us. And so we've got to remember that we're dealing with uh, uh, beings here who are intelligent. Uh, they're created beings, and they are bent toward evil, and they are watching and are aware because they are keen observers. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to discern if something is demonic or not, how has God taught you to discern, identify, and pray if something is demonic or not? Then how do you respond? Oh, beautiful question. Um, and that really is a tough question. It comes up all the time. How, how do you know it's it's demonic and not some psychological disorder. Mm -hmm. 
So in the early 2000s, I began having lunch once a week with a psychology professor who specialized in dissociative identity disorder and and a variety of other uh, psychological syndromes. And we also included in our discussion this missionary anthropologist who had served in Irian Jaya for 20 years. Uh, so was quite aware of the demonic from his missionary experience. And we tried to discern. Uh, we talked about specific cases, uh, some that we were all working with together and and trying to discern what is demonic, what is uh, psychological, what is social contagion, what is uh, is medical. I mean, there could be a medical uh, thing going on here, too. That is incredibly hard to separate all of those different strands in a, in a neat sort of way. Uh, what we have learned uh, over the years is that it's always best to take a holistic approach. And if there is a severe problem that somebody's facing and they think there's demonic elements to it or something, we should... We should approach it holistically in the sense of getting a medical evaluation, having a psychological intake, and maybe beginning some form of a therapeutic process. But where we often stop is we we think that's enough, and we don't want to give credence to the possibility that there may be some form of demonic element in the midst of this as well. And in many cases, it turns out to be all of the above simultaneously, that there's, uh, there, there could be a medical element that needs to be addressed, a certain kind of medication because of a neurological thing. It could be a need for uh, therapeutic help uh, over time. But also there may be a, a genuine spiritual interference that needs a ministry of prayer to be able to tend to that particular aspect of the problem. So all that to say it can be very complex, uh, but a we're holistic beings that we should look at every aspect of our health in, in from every perspective anyway, uh, but just not ruling out the demonic. Mm-hmm. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest, a New Testament scholar and dean at Talbot School of Theology talking about uh, spiritual warfare today. He's written a book called Three uh, Crucial Questions About Spiritual Warfare, and I'm taking your questions as well. Many good questions coming in. The next one, Clint, is this. What are your thoughts on the on recreational drugs uh, in the entryway for demonic possession? Mm-hmm. Yes, I... I, I, I want to be careful here by not saying that you use a recreational drug, you will get a demon. But on the other hand, I have prayed with people who have had that experience. I remember a guy that came to my office once, and he claimed he'd had a he had wandered away from the Lord, and he got with a group of guys, and he what started as uh, uh, marijuana and light drugs turned into hallucinogenics. He took a hallucinogenic, I think it was an LSD, some form of LSD, and he had what he described as a bad trip, and it was had these spiritual themes, and uh, he, it scared him. It scared him really bad because he wanted to get back right with the Lord again, and whenever he read his Bible, he would have this voice that would come to him 
that would say, hey, why are you doing that? Um, you have seen reality. I have shown you reality, and it's dark, and this is not reality. And it would frighten him so much, it would terrorize him so much that he would he'd just have to close up his Bible and not read or pray. And he said, Dr. Arnold, what can I can you pray for me? Can you help me with this? And 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 we helped him work through this process where somehow, for some reason, the demonic exploited that and 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 caused him to fall into a deep despair and uh and have this sensation every time he was trying to read the Bible. And fortunately by God's incredible grace, his guy was delivered from that, and he was set free from that, and was able to pick up his Bible again and start reading, and uh, grew closer to the Lord again. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a question from something we previously talked about in Matthew twelve forty four, when the Spirit leaves and then returns to that person. How is that possible if the person was uh, cleansed in the first place? I think that the uh, sense of that passage is that it wasn't, the house wasn't reoccupied. And so it was a vacant house. In other words, it needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't. And so the guy ended up worse off than he was before. Um, The New Testament frequently talks about, uh, like in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and so on. The language of filling and fullness is all over the place, and it's metaphorical of our bodies as a temple for the Holy Spirit. And God wants to fill us. We have the right to refuse that. We can keep the Spirit at bay. Uh, In fact, Ephesians also says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we're sealed on the day of redemption. God wants us rather to be filled up with him and to be uh, the kind of people who are are clinging tightly to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have reason to fear. We have reason to feel that we're in danger if we're not holding on tight to Christ. That is really the key. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to need to take a break. Unfortunately, Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest. We're talking about spiritual warfare today. There's great questions coming in. So we'll take a short one and be right back. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest. He was nice enough to stay with me the whole hour, which I'm so grateful. Uh, I had two questions come in, Clint, back back to back. So I'll give you two questions uh, as one right now. And that is this. Uh, When you have repeated demonic attacks, is it a good idea to anoint your whole house? And the next question that came in from a completely different area code was, 
Do the demons inhabit places? I had the pastor and elders bless my house, and they apparently left. But when my sister and sister-in-law visited, she heard voices. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, these are these are good questions, and and they're asked a lot. Um, let me begin by saying demons are primarily concerned with people and not places. So for a, the demonic, uh, a place is merely a means to an end. They're primarily concerned about people. Their role is to thwart the redemptive activity of God in Christ. They are opposing Christ in his redemptive plan, and that is what they're trying to do. Um, so what we have is uh, situations here where we may have uh, a place where there is a sense that there's something awry, something not quite right. There's an evil presence in the area. And there's plenty of examples of this kind of thing. And I think uh, it corresponds with our understanding of Christ is interested in a place. Uh, I mean, the temple of the Lord was filled with the presence of God. And we have the corresponding uh, imagery in the Old Testament of temples to Baal and Asherah and and so on that uh, were occupied by uh, the idols. So I think there's biblical precedent for this because we know from uh, Scripture that where there's idols, there's there's the demonic. Uh, so in principle, I think it's possible to conceive of it this way, but I think it's really important to remember that what demons are primarily concerned about are people and their allegiance, and they want us to compromise our allegiance to Christ. And they will use places if they can. They will use places to startle us, to scare us, to uh, uh, invoke their activities of various sorts. Uh, Clint, one of the most chilling verses, um, 2 Timothy 2.24, I'm making sure I get it correctly here, Um, the way, let's see, it's not 24, it goes into uh, 25 and 6. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So my question I'd like to throw in as well is, do, does Satan attack everyone, like believers and non-believers? I'll just answer that straight up. Yes, he okay. definitely attacks believers and non-believers. And the context of that passage in Second Timothy 2 is a... A, a deceptive and dangerous and false teaching that's infiltrating the church, the churches that Timothy is responsible for there. And that, too, is one of the ways that Satan works, is by inspiring uh, teaching that leads people away from the truth of the gospel, from the truth of Christ. And uh, there is a strong sense in which uh, it it captivates their minds. It captivates their wills. It captivates their allegiance, leading people away from Christ. And to that extent, they've fallen into a horrible trap uh, of deception. 
And so this is one of the ways that Satan works at a more macro level, at a broader level, and through uh, inspiring ideologies and teachings and things that can infiltrate the church and have great a great power of attraction. And ultimately, you look at it, and people are are leaving their first love this way because they're captivated by some teaching that's taking them astray. Mm-hmm. Clint, <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, sit- I want to talk a little bit about ministries that might, their whole purpose might be to help deliver people from uh, demonic activity. What do you understand or know about that, and and how can we know more about that? Yeah, there's uh, there's been a number of ministries uh, that have sprung up uh, that uh, kind of focus on this. Uh, one that I've been most familiar with myself because he was a former colleague was uh, a guy named Neil Anderson who wrote a book called The Bondage Breaker. Um, and uh, Freedom in Christ Ministries has had a uh, impact for 20, 20 to 30 years now, I think it is. And there's an emphasis on knowing the truth of who you are in Christ as the means of escape from the deception of the enemy. And I think it it's sound and biblical for that kind of an emphasis, because that's what Paul the Apostle stressed, is knowing our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, as as the foundation for being able to stand up against the devil. There's also a number of other, um, there's counseling services, there's a variety of ministries that uh, deal with this sort of thing. Um, not as many as you might expect, um, and we do need discernment in choosing wisely, because once we get onto this topic, there can be some really crazy stuff out there, and we've got to make sure that we're staying uh, tethered very tightly to what Scripture says and and not moving into areas of speculation that can in turn be dangerous for us. Mm-hmm. In your book, Three Crucial Questions About Spiritual Warfare, you've got a an intriguing chapter called Sin's PowerPoints. What is that? Sin's PowerPoints would be places that um, can be attractive to the work of the enemy. And an analogy that I might throw out there is if we have, if our passions uh, could be represented by a fire, a campfire, and, you know, I have a, you know, a sinful proclivity, but in in some ways it is bounded by uh, the outline of the campfire, but it's a passion that's burning there. It's like Satan comes and pours a can of gasoline on it. And when Satan pours that gasoline on it, 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 it goes all out of control. Uh, and so that's one of the ways that Satan works in concert with the flesh is – Uh, If we don't keep short accounts with God, if we let a sinful behavior go on and on and on and don't deal with it, it can become a real stronghold, uh, a place where it, it, it just blazes out of control because Satan will exploit it. And and that's what we really need to be on guard with. The Old Testament often referred to sinning with a high hand or, or sinning repeatedly. And we as believers, we really need to keep short accounts with God. We're, we're all going to fall into sin. 
unfortunately, Christ, by his righteousness, brings forgiveness, but we we are called to deal with that. And, and in, in Colossians 3, we're called to put it to death because it's dangerous. So good. So, Clint, um, how many books have you written? Well, it gets a little bit difficult to answer that question because I've edited a number of books. So I've edited a commentary series uh, called the Zonovan Exegetical Commentary Series, and I've edited a series called the Zonovan Illustrated Bible Background okay. Commentary. And I'm looking at that right now. Multiple people have contributed to that. So I've been kind of the team leader and team cheerleader for getting some of these projects done. And I love the scripture. I, I'm committed to to being as biblical as I possibly can and I love to dive in deep to what the scripture says. Yeah. I'm looking at all the books that you've written or been involved with, and I want to start uh, buying them tonight. Um, not, <laughs> not that I want to read them. I just want to support a family member. <laughs> Yeah, well, may your tribe increase. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd love to. I'd love to have you back. Um, talk about Ephesians too. It's one of my. Oh, I'd favorite. love to. I never get tired of talking about Ephesians. What yeah. a great book! No, it, absolutely. So, thank you so much. Uh, I've just been so thrilled to have you on the show today, and I so appreciate. We will definitely call you to have have you back. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Doctor Clint Arnold has been my guest, and if you just caught any of this, I promise you're going to want to go back to the beginning and hear all of it because it was an amazing hour. The book that we have talked about, uh, he wrote in 1997, and it's kind of the go-to book for a lot of people uh, wanting to learn more about spiritual warfare. It's called Three Crucial Questions About Spiritual Warfare by Clinton E. Arnold, not a name I hope you'll forget anytime soon. That's our show for the day. I so appreciate you, and thank you for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Hope you have a great night, and I can't wait to be with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.